Well, the past few weeks, we've turned our attention to discipleship and following Jesus and what that might look like. And we talked a little bit over the course of these last few weeks about prayer. And today we actually wrap up that portion of this series. But in doing so, um, I recognize that some of you, perhaps like phases I've gone through, where when it comes to praying, when somebody talks about prayer, there's, there's this twinge of guilt. You, you start to feel guilty because you begin to think, you know what, I really ought to pray more. <laughs> My prayer life's really not up to par. And in fact, maybe yesterday I forgot to pray at all, just went through the entire day and now I show up at church and, and Jimmy, you remind me about prayer. And so I initially I feel guilty. Others of you may feel something different. You may feel inept when it comes to prayer. You may think, you know, I really do try to pray, but I often feel like I'm just kind of tripping over my own two feet when it comes to prayer. I just feel incapable of praying. And so that's one of the reasons we took the course of the last few weeks to talk to you about prayer, to encourage prayer, and to kind of give you a, a method by which you could begin to pray. But I want to let you know this morning that I'm not standing up here in order to make you feel guilty, nor am I standing up here to make you feel inept about your prayer life or insecure in any way. I want to let you know that prayer is more than an ought to. Let me give you kind of a broad definition a prayer, and this is broad, okay, this you will not find in a dictionary. Prayer is an invitation from God himself to come to him. Just think about that, that God would invite you to come into his presence to share your hopes and fears and burdens and dreams, to unload your guilt and sorrows and worries, and prayer is your invitation not just to speak to God, but to hear from the God who loves you, cares about you, and who has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to think about prayer maybe a little bit different because many of us think of it simply as an ought to. It's a command. It's something I have to do. It's something that I have to be regimented about. But we don't often think about prayer as an invitation from God to enter His presence Prayer is an opportunity for us to come and, and just pour out what's on the inside of us to this great and awesome God who, who loves us and cares for us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Maybe if we could begin to change our thinking about what prayer is, it would not be an ought to, but would become for us a want to. I want to go into the presence of this God who wants me to come into his presence. And so we began to share, uh, at the beginning of this month, this, this method of prayer. Now, again, nothing magical, nothing mystical about it. It's not that God's going to hear you better if you use this than using something else. It's just a way, a, a kind of an outline for us to approach God in prayer. And we use this acrostic acts. And if you'll remember, we went through, we've gone through these past few weeks, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And then the ter term that's typically used is supplication, but we have substituted the word supply for that because that's a word we use rather than supplication, although we will encounter it in our scripture this morning. 
we, we don't tend to use supplication very much. And so we're asking God then to supply our needs and supply for the needs of others. And so what I want to do, because my wife tells me I spend way too much time on the introductions, is I want to jump right in to the scripture passage. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then I invite you to open up with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now, I will remind you that the scripture will be printed there in your handout. It will also be up on the screen for your convenience. But if you want to open your Bible so that you can highlight, underline, mark it up in some way, that's perfectly fine. would love for you to do that. Philippians chapter 4. Remember, Philippians is one of those letters of Paul's found in the New Testament. You just keep going past the Gospels in the New Testament. You will get there. Um, if you, you get to you know, Acts and Romans and you get to Galatians, Ephesians, and then the next book will be Philippians. If you hit Colossians, you've gone too far. And listen, let me remind you one more time. Some of you have grown up in church. Some of you remember you were going through Bible drills. You were doing all those things growing up. Some of you, this book is, is new to you. And you should not feel intimidated if the person on the row sitting next to you or the chair sitting next to you open it right up to that page. You shouldn't feel intimidated about it. If you have to go to the table of contents to find it, by all means, go to the table of contents and find it. It's okay. So don't worry about that. Don't be intimidated by that at all. Well, let's hear what God has to say to us this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And so hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we look at this, the first thing we noticed is we are called to joy. We're called to joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, a couple of things that are interesting to note about this. First of all, this is a command. Rejoice is a command. Something else that you will want to note about this is, and this is not readily apparent in the English translation, but it is to be continuous. So it could be literally translated, keep on rejoicing so it's a command it's a continuous command and do you know that paul also repeats himself again i will say rejoice parents have you ever had to repeat yourself to your kids you're trying to tell them hey listen i'm serious about this i want you to get this i want you to hear this i want you to process this information i want you to do something with it and so i'm not going to just say it once i'm going to tell you again now, sometimes you wives are sitting out there and going, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have to do it with my husband all the time. Listen, your husband is not being stubborn. He's just not listening to you. So I'm just, I'm just being honest. I mean, I usually, ca- yeah, I usually catch, I'm about, Nancy's about three quarters of the way through saying something, and then my rabbit ears actually tune her in. So anyway. This is, oh, that's the sermon on confession. Sorry. We've already passed that. Okay. So the first thing you may want to look at is say, well, how can this be a command? How can we be commanded 
to rejoice, commanded to have joy. And, and the answer is right there in the verse because it says rejoice in the Lord. Our joy is not a blissful ignorance to all the circumstances that are around us. For some of you, you've had good circumstances this week. You've had a good week. But for some of you, you've not had a good week. You've, you've not had great circumstances in your life. And, and the, the scripture does not say rejoice in your circumstances. It says rejoice in the Lord. In other words, our joy is to be anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. So no matter what our circumstances are, our joy is still present. Get this. Hear this. Because if your joy is attached to your circumstances, it will rise and fall with the tides. We lived in Savannah for about five years, and uh, we, we would go by Bluff Drive. That was a, it was a wonderful way to go to work because I could drive down. The marina was there. There were a number of boats that were docked. And the Savannah River, uh, one, of the, one of the area, it wasn't the Savannah River itself, but one of the tributaries would come off that and but I'd drive through, and some days the water would be so high, the dock, which was a floating dock, would actually you know, be based here and would actually be up. from. So you'd have to walk up to get to your boat. But then there are other days that I'd walk out, and the dock would be down like this, so low that you couldn't even get your boat out if you wanted to. And if your joy is attached to your circumstances, that's exactly what's happening to your joy. It's going up and down based on the circumstances of your life. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to know that's don't attach your joy there. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't let your daily circumstances, your daily lives dominate your joy. And that's why someone like Nehemiah could say the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's why Habakkuk could say, though the Fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields fail to yield, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Sounds like a bad day. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. There's another circumstance that I would love for you to do. You can read this for yourself. Go to Acts chapter 16. You might want to write that on your notes. Go to Acts chapter 16 this afternoon and, and take, a, take a few minutes between basketball games, if you're watching the tournament, uh, to, to read this little chapter. And it has to do with two guys named Paul and Silas and how they went into the city of Ephesus and they were doing great things for God and people were coming to Jesus and cast a demon out of this woman, but it got them thrown into jail. And where we find, what we find in there is that, that Paul and Silas, shackled, chained, having been brutally beaten, they are in the, it's like the jail basement. I mean, they're, they're in the, it's bad. But we find them praying and singing hymns in the midst of all that. Why? Because their joy <laughs> was in the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't attached to their circumstances. They'd be singing the blues if they were attached to their circumstances, and yet they were, they were praising God in that situation. You can go back and read that in Acts chapter 16. It's a, it's a great little portion of the Scripture. 
Paul goes on to say here in what we in our passage here in uh, is that he says, "Let your reasonableness be known to everyone." You you may have a different translation. It's instead of reasonableness, it may say gentleness, and that kind of gets the picture too. And what we need to know this this concept of being reasonable, being gentle, is. Some of you need to hear this because I've seen your social media posts. You can be right and not be a bulldozer. Does somebody need to hear that this morning? You can be right and not be a bulldozer about it. Christians damage the cause of Christ and the message of Christ when when we are known for being harsh and abrasive and unyielding and angry people we need to be careful how we present ourselves we're told also in this this wonderful little book of ephesians paul says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility listen to this in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. We're to have a different attitude because we belong to Jesus Christ. We're to adopt the attitude of Christ. And, and rarely did we see Jesus getting angry. If he got angry, he was usually angry over two things. One is how his father was being treated, and the other is how other people were being treated. He never became angry that I can find in the New Testament over how he was being treated. And that's something for us to keep in mind because we get easily insulted. And, you know, it's, it's like when my, when my dog hears a noise outside, not only starts barking, but the hair stands up on the back of her neck. And it's, we can get that way too. And we need to recognize we need Jesus' attitude in us because it enhances our witness. Well, he gives us a reason for this. He says... Um, the Lord is at hand. And I'll read this and I look at it and I go, well, why is this little section shoved in here? The Lord is at hand. And I think it's, it's, it's in here for a couple of reasons. One is because of, of what it means for us. The Lord is at hand means that, that Jesus, is, his, his coming back is imminent. And it can be at any time. We may not make it out of this service today you may have gone and bought your tickets for the movie thursday night you may not make it okay the lord may come back before then the lord is at hand i used to my mother literally told me this so it it sounds like apocryphal but it's not my mother would that would tell me wait till your father gets home now listen my dad was was a police officer and his belt was that wide and when he'd slide the gun off the belt I knew I was in trouble. So wait till your father get home. That had a, that left a, you know, that, that was a, a good reminder for me because I knew what would happen if I was disobedient and my father came home. And so in a sense, that's true, is that Jesus is coming back. So we need to live with that in mind. But there's something else that's true here. And we need to hear this. And this may be more important. And that is, he's already here. He is near. He is in you and that should affect both your attitude and your actions because Jesus if you're a child of God 
Jesus is with you. Then he goes on to say this, and I want us to really drill down here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Literally, if we translated it, it would say this, for nothing be anxious, but in everything, and then we move to the end of the verse, let your requests be made known to God. For nothing be anxious, but in everything we're called to pray. Make our requests be made known to God. New Living Translation, I love the way it translates this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That, that just grabs it right there. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the more we know God, the easier it'll be for us to trust him no matter what our circumstances are. And that's why when we began this, we began with focusing on adoration. That is looking at who God is, his, his character, his attributes, how God has revealed himself to us. The more we can do that, the more we spend time getting to know God, the easier it's going to be for us to trust him. We do this in everyday life. If someone calls you on the phone wanting to sell something to you, you're immediately suspicious, right? You may even hang up the phone on them because you don't know them. You don't know their product. You don't know anything about them. You don't trust them enough to even finish listening to the conversation. But if there's someone that you know, if there's someone that you trust, then you're much more apt to listen to what they have to say to you. It's the same way with God. The more we know Him, the more we're willing to listen to Him and to follow what He has to say into our lives. Knowing God produces joy. Knowing God provides security. And knowing God alleviates anxiety. And perhaps one of the reasons that we have so much worry in our lives, so much anxiety in our lives, perhaps we don't know God that well. We don't spend a lot of time with Him so that we can trust Him with our cares and concerns and burdens and worries. It's said that worrying gives small things big shadows you ever worry about something that absolutely didn't even come to pass i mean you i mean you spend a lot of emotional energy on this you're really sweating bullets about something that might happen this afternoon or might happen tomorrow or might happen next week and your stomach is in knots you're losing sleep and then it doesn't even happen or what does happen is so much less worrying is like that it gives small things big shadows and so what does God's word tell us to do with it instead don't be anxious about anything be anxious for nothing instead bring it to God in prayer and folks we need to know that if something's big enough to cause anxiety then it's big enough to bring to God in prayer and guess what he's big enough to entrust it to him He's big enough to handle it. Paul actually uses four terms in these verses here. 
when he talks about prayer, he uses the word prayer. That's a generic term, just a generic word for prayer. He uses the word supplication, which we're, we're using supply in our acrostic, but that's okay. Supplication, it means to make requests before God, to make our needs known and to bring the needs of others to him. Then there's thanksgiving. I think we understand that. We spent some time last week looking at offering gratitude to God for all that he is and all that he does. And then the last word he uses, requests, and that's asking with a a sense of urgency. Um, When we have something that comes up and it just burdens us and we have this urgent need to go to God in prayer, and that's okay. Listen, you may go, well, you know, every morning uh, at 7 o'clock, I sit down, cup of coffee in my Bible and my devotional book, and I go through and I do this, and that's great. But there are times when you need, when the best prayer you can pray and the most honest prayer you can pray is help. In whatever circumstance, in whatever situation you find yourself in, God is not isolated to that prayer time. God is with you and he's ready to hear even in those times of urgency or emergency. If we pray at all, And some of you are very faithful in prayer. But for many of us, our prayers begin and end right here. This is it. We've got a list. And I go to God and I go, okay, God, here's my my list. It's got me. It's got my family members. It's got some urgent needs. And maybe I can remember one or two other things. And and this is about the extent of my prayer life. For others, these requests are maybe the the totality of your prayer life is all your requires are, are help. Just like dialing 911 or in case of emergency, break glass. And what we've tried to do over the course of the last month is to say, hey, wait a minute, slow down a little bit. When it comes to praying, you need to be intentional about your praying. And that's why we gave you this Acts method of prayer. And if you'll remember, the A stands for adoration. And what, we, what you need to do is slow down enough to recognize who God is and all that God has done. God, his will, and his ways. And, and to just stop and say, God, I just want to recognize, I just want to acknowledge before you that I know that you're this kind of God. The C, of course, was for confession. And when it comes to confession, what we're doing is we're stopping long enough to do a little introspection, to turn the flashlight on in our own lives and say, you know what, this really, this was not good. This hurt other people, this hurt me. Uh, this hurt the reputation of Jesus. And, and I need to confess that. I need to turn from that and find cleansing from God. Thanksgiving, of course, we know we, we need to stop long enough to say thanks, to let God know we appreciate it. And listen, for some of you, you, you this is a part of your a life, your regular part of your life. Um, you know, praying, thanking God for the meals, thanking God for your family. It's a regular part. Um, when I went to Africa a number of years back, um, I was with uh, Tim Belcher. He was there. He and his wife, Mary, they were the, the missionaries that were there, and they worked at the orphanage. And he would take us out every single day to the village that we were doing the work in. He'd drive out. We'd do what we needed to do. At the end of the day, we'd come back. And I remember sitting in the front seat with him on a couple of those trips And when he pulled back up into the Global Samaritan Orphanage and parked the truck, he just whispered this little prayer. Thank you, Jesus. At the end of the trip, 
thank you for getting me back. And that for us should be almost like breathing. Because as we go through the day, just stopping enough to say, thank you, God, for all you've done. And then, of course, today we're focusing on this concept of, of supply, asking God to supply to, to meet the needs. When we have gone through and, and we spent some time acknowledging who God is, confessing our own sin, and then thanking him for all that he's done in our lives, it's then that we are probably ready to bring the, our needs to him. Our heart and our minds are in such a place where we're now ready to bring to him the needs and entrust these needs to him. And the Bible is not shy about telling us to bring our needs to God. Let me just give you a, a glimpse, just peek in the window here real quick. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. James declares, you do not have because you do not ask. The Apostle John wrote, this is the confidence we have when approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked for. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too great to be brought to God in prayer. God tells us, he encourages us to come to him, to present our requests to him, and to entrust him with our worries, with our needs, and with our worries over the needs of others. Now, some of you may read that and go, well, does this mean that God is going to answer every prayer that I pray with a yes? And you know by both reading Scripture and, and by practical experience that the answer to that question is no. God is not going to answer everything in exactly the way we pray it or in exactly the timing that we ask for. But even knowing that, 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us that we are to be a people who are constantly casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries on Him because He cares for you. Even when our prayers are misguided, we can still bring those to God and entrust those to Him and ask God, listen, if I'm off track here, would you would you do a course correction in my life? Because we, we understand this, right? For those of you who have children and grandchildren, sometimes your kids don't ask for things that are reasonable, sensible. Sometimes they just, they're just nuts. Sometimes they ask for things that are way more expensive. You could never buy that in a million years. Now, God doesn't have that issue. God, could, God can do whatever he wants to do. But, but sometimes... Prayer or what our kids ask us are way out of line with what is truly best for them. And if your kids know you, even though they may rebel up front, if your kids know you and they know that they can trust you, then even if they may be a little bit hurt at the start, they get over it and they move on and eventually understand, yes, my parents were truly looking after what was best for me. And sometimes that's the way it is with God. When we've got these things that we urgently come to Him and pray for and God doesn't deliver like we think we ought to, the question then boils down, do I truly trust God with this or not? Because seriously, if I can force God 
just by praying in Jesus' name like it was some kind of magical incantation. If I can force God to do whatever I want him to do, then who's God? Me. I have to, when I bring my prayer request to him, entrust those to him. And listen, let me tell you something. Praying as Jesus prayed, not my will but yours be done, is not fine print. It's not an escape clause. It's basically saying, listen, God, I know you're wiser than I. I know you're far more loving than I. I know you know everything from the beginning to the end. And therefore, to the best of my ability, I'm coming and I'm praying. But I trust you with the results. Because you're God. And I'm not. And when we give God all our worries, when we give God all our needs, we don't walk away empty-handed. Did you notice what Paul writes here at the last portion of this? He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God says, here, bring me all your stuff. This happens many times on a Sunday where people will come and they're burdened and they've got got things on their hearts and things that have just caused anxiety in their lives and worry in their lives. And they they come and you may see someone come down on a Sunday and wonder, well, what what are they doing? For many of them, they're simply coming and unloading before God. Saying, God, I walked in all tangled up in knots full of worry, full of anxiety, full of fear. But Lord, I want to entrust that all to you. I'm going to make my request to you. I'm going to pour out my heart to you. I'm going to entrust all this to you. And then God, I'm going to receive back from you your peace. A peace that defies logic. It's beyond all understanding. But it will set guard over your heart. Set guard over your mind in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful exchange God has in store for many of us. God's peace means having freedom from inner turmoil, tranquility in spite of life's circumstances, and a calm confidence based not on our own sufficiency, but on the sufficiency of God. So this morning, let me ask you, are you at peace or are you filled with anxiety? Where are you today? Are you burdened down by sorrows and troubles or do you know that calm confidence that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Some of you may need to do exactly what we just talked about a moment ago. You've been carrying around a weight, a burden, anxieties, worries, things that you haven't yet entrusted to God and you need to come today and come before God and say, okay, God, it's time for me to put this down. I've worried about it long enough. Either you're big enough to trust, you're good enough to trust, 
You're wise enough to trust or you're not. And today I say you are. And so God, here I come. I'm coming. I'm laying it down. And I ask him when I rise up to my feet and I leave this place, that instead of carrying those anxieties and worries with me like chains, that I will instead have your peace. And God's willing to make that exchange with you today if you're willing to give him what burdens you down so much. For some of you, your decision may be, hey, I need this Jesus you're talking about. I've tried to do this life thing enough on my own. I've tried to, to, to have enough strength, enough wisdom to, to try to get through this thing called life by myself. And quite frankly, I just keep running into the same wall over and over and over and over again. And today, today I need Jesus. I need a new life. I need a new beginning. I need you, God, to live in my heart and live in my life and speak truth into me. God, I need that today. And today I want to come and receive your son as my savior. Some of you may need a church home. Listen, I've told many of you who've been here, you know that my, uh, my sister's husband had a four-wheeler accident and he's still having issues and he's, he's, he's advanced a long way. He's still got a long way to go. But so many of you have called, uh, encouraged through uh, Facebook or through, a tweet, uh, through Twitter or, or through a, a message and just to say, listen, I want you to know that I'm, I'm praying for him. I, and man, what a joy it is to have a church family where people love you enough to actually carry that burden with you. Take it to the Lord in your name. And if you need a church home, a place to belong, then maybe, maybe this is the place where God has for you today. When we sing the last song in our worship service, you've heard it called an invitation song, but it's simply a time for you to respond to whatever God's put on your heart to do. This is the moment. This is the day. This is the time. I want to invite our praise band to come up, and as they do, I just want to close us in prayer this morning and pray for you. Father, I know that you're working even now. You're working in the hearts and the minds of of men and women and teenagers and God you're leading us to take a step to move in a direction that you want us to go and so Lord I ask in Jesus name today that that nothing would hinder us from responding to you whether we need to come in prayer whether we need to come to become a part of the life of this church or whether it's that moment we need to surrender our lives to Jesus and begin to follow him. Lord, whatever it is that you're leading us to do, this is the moment. This is the time. I pray for those right now who are struggling in their seat right now that you will lead them by your spirit to respond. In Jesus' name we ask you.